Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 760. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today, September 20th, 2022. All right, welcome to another program of Anglican Unscripted. We're glad you could be here. You are the most important part of the program. If there was no audience, there'd be no Anglican Unscripted, and we want you to be members, but participating members. So if you see a, any place on Facebook or YouTube where you can like this episode, please like it. If you want to be a bigger participant, we recommend that you go to the comment section. This show never ends unless you stop commenting. We read every comment, we like the story ideas, and we certainly like to see your opinion on the stuff that we're talking about. Also, this comes in podcast format. You don't just have to sit every day and, and look at Kevin and George on screen. Uh, ooh, ooh. You can listen to our smooth, silky voices on a podcast. You find a link to that in the show notes on YouTube. You click and you subscribe. George, how are you doing today? Very busy time at the church. We're getting ready for the fall season. Um, I do uh, morning prayer and Compline online now, and we're starting our third year of doing that and we have a good solid core of people who watch from around the world and we're debating whether or not to introduce evening prayer which should be around uh, at the end of the working day compliments at 10 so maybe do this around five or six and all these sorts of projects i mean we really are past COVID as an organization and we're the things that we learn to do well uh we're picking up uh, the only thing is that we still have got a good lag in people coming back who haven't died, who haven't moved away. They mm -hmm. still consider themselves members of the church, but instead of being here four Sundays a month, they're here once every two months. Uh, and yeah. that's, that hurts. That hurts because I don't think they're getting the benefit of being part of a Christian community. They've lost the habit. They've lost the oblation. And society is completely reset. It's completely reset. Uh, five, ten years ago, being a pharmacist was a high-paying job and desirable. You needed to you know, have a little bit of smarts and be able to pronounce those funny drug names. But as you know, I've traveled around the Northeast uh, and Midwest this summer. And lo and behold, every once in a while, I have to go pip, pick up my statin at CVS pharmacies. And every time I go to CVS, which used to be a drive-through ser service, there's a handwritten note on the uh, the drive-through saying, "Due to staffing issues, the drive-through is closed. Please come inside." Sure, why not? Okay, fine. I'll get my deodorant at my statin at the same time. So you go inside and you're waiting for the pharmacist, and there's only two back there, and you're you're in a line of twenty. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody's get there to get their their pills and stuff like that, and um, that's part of this great reset we still don't understand yet. Why doesn't a person want to be a pharmacist anymore? How is this great uh, uh, quitting our jobs uh, for high-paying jobs like that? So things are changing in church and society, and uh, it's going to take a while to get used to something that you and I coined a long time ago: the new normal. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm not used to it yet. Although I bought a camper and traveled the world, whatever. It, well, one of the things we think about in broadcasting services um, is as are we giving people an excuse not to come? Mm -hmm. In other words, are they not coming because we're doing it online? And what I've been finding, if I just look at the comments and the people who interact, 
essentially nobody local is interacting online, but instead we have people from around the globe who follow the uh, who follow and participate in the worship online. So it it's just we it's just I'm relearning how to do a lot of things in in this new environment. The, the things that used to work don't work anymore. What I'm finding in online is people who did not have access to a good church locally to them now have access to great churches, great mm -hmm. sermons, great teaching, and they're willing to put up with that uh, new online in the cloud Jesus rather than having to have FaceTime uh, because they want the better teaching. In the, and so, you know, it, it, totally new, George. Uh, nothing you and I expected at all, uh, COVID. I thought I'd get my shot, go back to work, and that would be it. Nope. All right. Number one topic this week is the Queen's funeral. Uh, I watched portions of it. I, I saw uh, Justin's sermon. I saw the processional and some of the, uh, just the pageantry. Uh, it, I'm going to lay this out right now. The BBC is allowed to videotape my funeral. You know, as a cameraman, as a, a video person, they did a marvelous job. Um, and I want to be have a funeral in an Anglican church. And I think this is going to change the narrative of uh, people who uh, insist they don't need a funeral, we'll just have a celebration of life. And I thought, you know, you and I could talk about that because you are in a church where a high major, a high, you know, high turnover rate is a is a, a good way to say it. And people must come to you and say, well, we don't really want a funeral; we just want to celebrate uh, Her Harold's life. And uh, what what do you see as the difference between funerals and, and celebrations of life, George? Well, uh, celebrations of life, we do it they're usually at the funeral home. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that the cost of funerals is so horrendously high these days, the thought of shelling out 200 bucks for the for a priest to do something at the church and the organist and this and that, just uh, that's the last on their list. And for, I don't want to say it's financially driven, but for a number of people, those are the financial considerations they make. Um, we have a policy, if you're a member of the church, it, there's no charge. We do, you know, the whole show, reception, this, that, and the other. And if you want to give something to the church, give something to the church. But the problem we have is exactly as what you're saying, is that the death and what is to come is not something that is thought about in American culture. Mm -hmm. So it's more often than not uh, something that we avoid wanting to discuss, we avoid wanting to talk about. Um, funeral planning uh, has now sort of fallen into like financial planning. It's become dry, it's become uh, something, you know, here's a document you have in your file that when it happens, this is what we do. And the sort of sacramental, theological faith side it runs against the current of culture. So when we do it, most of our, I would say three quarters of our deaths that we have, we do have church funerals in the church. In the other quarter, we do, I'll do little things in funeral homes, say a little homily or whatever they would like to done. done. But it, funerals, weddings, baptisms, all the sacramental acts that sort of gathered a family are becoming farther and farther and farther apart from the mainstream of culture. And 
I sometimes feel I'm pushing water uphill. And um, the old joke was, I'd see you're you're hatched, matched, and dispatched. You're baptized, married, and buried from the church. And those are the three times you show up. That's not even true anymore. Um, we We have a generation that is growing up without any connection to the sacramental life. Well, we have a generation that doesn't know how to grieve doesn't know how to mourn, doesn't know uh, that closeness of family that existed two or three generations ago. There are people now who've never touched a dead body. What is going on over there? Did you get the puppy? Yes, the dogs are wrestling. <laughs> Just say it. And there was a sort of a sacrament. Even So for those occasional church members, they still had a sense of identity with the, the church, with the faith, or with the even a Christian culture, that's passing away. And in its, its place, I'm getting, oh, can we play dust in the wind uh, as the, uh, you know, uh, as the proce- funeral processional hymn? And could you put some, Harold loved golf, and could you put some golf clubs, and could we make a little golfing arrangement around the altar? And and I never say no, but I seldom say yes to those <laughs> things. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think that was the wonderful thing about Queen Elizabeth um, as a person. Uh, I'm not a monarchist. I really didn't pay close attention. I read the Archbishop's sermon because it's my job to read these yeah, things, sure, and yeah. I was really happy. Uh, he had a single, uh, as Kevin said, the strikeout <laughs> king made it to base. <laughs> it wasn't a home run, yeah. uh, and you know. I can be petty and say, well, I would have said this, that, and the other. Well, no one's ever going to ask me to, to, to preach their fu- at the funeral like that. But he didn't do a Catherine Jeffers Shorey and cause me to be embarrassed and cringe uh, by false doctrine. There are some criticisms that he could have gone further, but hey, given who he is, given the audience, I think he did an okay job. But having said that, the Queen's faith as she articulated it throughout her life, was real and it was deep and it was powerful. And I saw the BBC highlights on our local cable channel here, you know, the 15 minute wrap up. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking was I was sort of in my heart and mind, I was just struck by the comparison between the pomp and ceremony and the adoration of the crowds at the Queen's funeral and Jesus's progression to Calvary, the Via Dolorosa. Uh, he, you know, he was reviled. He was spat upon. He was beaten. The crowds jeered him, and he died in ignominy. And here we have the queen celebrated, but the queen's faith was that she recognized that this man, who is God, you know, was the reason for everything. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it just struck me as, so people will now, I'm going to get requests, I want a funeral like the Queen's. We'll see if the Scots Guards are, you know, available. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, Be feeders. <laughs> well, so what will turn out is, we'll re- well, somebody will hire a local bagpipe player for the next six months, and then that'll the fat will pass away. Hmm. But if the Queen were not a devout Christian, and the Christian element were not so forefront and centered, I would have been uncomfortable because it was glorification, celebration of a life, uh, a show of national pride and dignity. Nothing wrong with that, 
but it's not my nation and i neither you know neither interested or disinterested it's just how it is but because there was that solid christian presence in the person of the of queen elizabeth and what she stood for and what she believed and how she sought to live her life it was a it was greater than just this the spectacle was wonderful but the power lay in the faith i for me behind it watching this i always thought in the back of my mind this is the last titan we will be burying a titan of faith a titan of leadership a titan in her own monarchy and you know you just step back and ask these questions is there a christian you could point to that you would say you know lived a stellar life queen elizabeth is there a monarch you could point to who was a faithful servant to her country uh queen elizabeth was there a mother you know she she had all the qualities in, in the different facets of her life that she served knowing first that she served jesus um mm. but she she remained stellar and, and a titan at, at all of these and you know, you watch this 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 pageantry of a nation and a church who reject her faith queen well, elizabeth uh, queen elizabeth would be guilty under the church's current safeguarding rules <laughs> we can't have her here because she believe you know it's just I like so i you see the hypocrisy happening here in the culture and in the church um i'm very thankful for justin welby's uh sermon yes he's the strikeout king here he he made a single maybe a double uh, i don't have a cr cricket reference but he's on base and uh so but somebody once said he did a googly i have no idea what that is but evidently it's a cricket term <laughs> friends tell me if that's applicable okay uh but so we're here at this time where did we just bury christianity in 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 europe in england is that is that buried now you know did we, we bury the faith with uh queen elizabeth i don't know well yeah. i think that my, my interpret my understanding and again i'm a foreigner it's not my country, not my queen. Uh, so I watch as an observer, not as uh, someone who has an emotional or national or patriotic attachment. The queen served God first, mm -hmm. and that allowed her to serve her the people of who, her people. If she sought to serve the people, to be the people's queen, uh, reference to Diana being, in Tony Blair's words, yeah. the people's princess. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have worked i would have thought i don't think she yeah. could have kept it kept the show going for almost over 70 years but because yeah. she made her oath and pledge to god not to the people that and god she served the lord and then allowed that to drive her public persona and work it was a success i think in some of the things i've read about king charles I think he gets that. Now, we may make, make fun of him as being goofy and his ideas a little esoteric at times. And, you know, oh my goodness, he's into Jungian psychology. It, yeah, it's easy to pick on people. Um, yeah. I like anchovy pizza and people are going to hate me now for the rest of their lives because I like anchovies. Don't burp. But, but Charles, I think, gets it. And he's will, I have a high degree of confidence that he will attempt to carry forward that 
understanding of the sacral element of monarchy. Whether it goes on beyond Charles to William and William's son, I don't know, because you know, I only read I only know about them from what I read, and I'm told William doesn't have a religious bone in his body. But hey, you know, God works in wonderful, mysterious, powerful ways. Yes. So, and, and he's raised up leaders well into their mid 50s, 60s, and so it, you know, you, you don't need to, to have a child Christian uh, to, to have a, a masterful uh, Christian leader in his later years, George. One some of the little things that I picked up is that I had I had very good close friends. One of my children's godparents, uh, a man named Alistair, first name Alistair, who I went to seminary with. He was a graduate student when I was at the Divinity School at Yale. Uh, he and his mother, you know, were just vicious in their private comments about Camilla. This is way back in the Diana versus Camilla days. Yeah. And and that's 20-odd 20, 20 years, 25 years ago? Yeah. Whatever, 24 years. 1996, I think. Yeah. And now, there's no, that I didn't pick up any hesitancy of looking at Camilla as the queen consort. So, in other words, the English mood has accepted her because she seems to be living into the role that, that they expect of her. So that's a good, good thing. I, I saw one little Twitter, uh, whole series of comments about Justin Welby's sermon. So I looked at, oh, what interesting things, and it wasn't about the content, but evidently at one point when he talked about those who cling to power and authority people on Twitter were saying at that point he was staring at uh, Prince Harry and Meghan <laughs> and uh, the uh, others were like, well <laughs> they were sitting in the second row and in back of them were politicians so he could be referring to Boris Johnson or somebody else but uh, you know that level of stuff it's sort of fun it's titillating but it really comes back to the Archbishop, the Dean of Westminster, the Dean of Windsor, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop of York, uh, they did a great job. No, absolutely. Yeah. Really, really did. And I'll, and any criticism of content really would be petty on my part. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much freedom they had in what they could say. Maybe all of this had to be vetted in advance months ago as the queen prepared her uh, funeral i have no idea yeah, but you know. and but in that everything came off flawless mm -hmm. you know to to put on a funeral and of that spectacle of, in that much public light uh, of such a an honored queen and it went full nobody dropped anything nobody st you know fell over nobody fainted you know it was a flawless funeral that went on for six and a half hours um, and, and that was that was the simple version of the Anglican funeral liturgy. <laughs> so. One of the things I noticed, and uh, I hope my friends, uh, our friends and viewers, can correct me because I will make mistakes about uh, some aspects of English life because I'm not English. Um, I miss uh, miss. Uh, I didn't misgender Princess Anne. I switched their uh, family oh, birth order because yeah. <laughs> I listened to somebody and didn't check it myself. There you go. No, it was my fault for having said it. Said something silly, um, but I noticed that as the the uh, coffin was being carried and placed on the catafalque, the thing that mm -hmm. slid down, 
they didn't have princes or generals or officers carry the coffin. They had uh, enlisted soldiers. Yeah. And I think the symbolism of that, for me, spoke to her connectedness to the bedrock British people, that she wasn't just the queen of the elites and this was the elites funeral and they were going to control the show and they were going to get all the good juicy roles but instead some sergeants and corporal and privates of the guards regiments i, th I think they were in the guards regiments carried the coffin mm -hmm. it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, the officers and the the elites but it was the i people. remember an interview i saw with her or read many many years ago you know, uh, pre-gray hair Kevin, where she said one of her favorite memories was VE Day, when uh, the royal family was out uh, celebrating, uh, and she and her sister uh, put on hats and went into the crowd and uh, uh, celebrated and danced, uh, tried not to be recognized, but, you know, celebrated with a commoner. Uh, you know, this, this great victory over the, the evil of uh, Nazism. And, you know, she, I think, you know, clearly she wasn't uh, always going to be queen. Somebody up in the, uh, her uncle had to do some stupid things first, <laughs> you know, and so she, but she fell into the role well. She uh, knelt at the high altar, prayed for uh, herself and her nation, and uh, took up the, the mantle uh, some 60, 70 years ago, George. It's just amazing. Yeah. I, I want to segue into something we didn't really touch on in our pre-show, but something okay. I should mention, because oh. you you give it, did a shout out of praise to the BBC, and mm -hmm. yes, the camera and photography, even the newsreaders dressing in mourning, uh, yeah. did show a great deal of professionalism and polish. Meanwhile, in the city of Leicester, there is a sectarian battle in the streets between Hindus and Muslims. And the first BBC reports basically were, you know, uh, an Asian man gotten in brawl with another Asian man. And after the outrage that, you know, no, no, this is not what's happening. But, you know, crowds of Hindus, some of whom are shouting Hindu Vata slogans, which are like, kill the Muslims, are engaged in battles kept apart by police with some Muslims who are shouting Allah Akbar. Finally, after two or three days of, uh, you know, putting this as Asian street uh, gang violence, they admitted, yes, Britain has been has imported uh, good old Indian sectarian violence between Muslims and Hindus at, with the police standing in between. This could have been uh, Calcutta in 1948, <laughs> not well, Leicester. It, it, it wasn't. It was CNN who called the uh, St. Paul... Uh, Twin Cities riots uh, two years ago, a spirited riot, spirited rioters. Yeah, and so, yeah, uh, um, the, they are great at videography. They're horrible at commentary or news. There is no good journalism is dead, George. We talked about that before. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the BBC, the initial reports, once they basically got spanked by the rest mm -hmm. of the media, mm -hmm. they sort of doing their job. But basically, it was this sectarian riot in Leicester didn't fit the narrative, did not fit the woke narrative. And I give credit for the BBC for breaking out of the woke narrative for the Queen's funeral. We didn't see, we did, I, 
the short time I watched, so it, if again, if I'm wrong, correct me, I didn't hear any co comments that, well, all of these enlisted soldiers carrying the Queen's coffin were white males. I didn't hear the BBC make that. So, and in other stuff, you know, like, look at the British soccer team. Oh, my goodness, they're all white, or the, the field hockey team, you know, the women's field hockey, whatnot. In other words, we didn't get that sort of woke stuff that just causes me to roll my eyes. They did a great job. They did. But they're not they, perfect. They, far from it. <laughs> no, no. Stuff. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Back to normal. You know, as most journalism is. Uh, and I just, you know, quick, quick follow up and uh, finishing our talk about the Queen. Uh, we will meet again. Uh, was her uh, COVID speech? You know, in, in all this, in all this turmoil of COVID, uh, we will meet again. And I think that resonates on George. Uh, we need I don't a culture. Know what, to, where, don't know when, but on some sunny day. No, uh, yeah, but so what was a very popular song on World War Two? Vera mm -hmm. Lynn, Vera Lynn, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you correct us. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, and um, it, there's a huge spiritual significance to that too. You know, for us Christians, uh, you know, the funeral and moving on to the eternal life. That's where we meet again. Yeah. So. All right, let's go to our next story. Oh, and please, this please, is please, please, please. <laughs> yeah, Indian uh, corruption. Oh yes, of course, Indian corruption, and then we're gonna do the clickbait of the year. So, oh. uh, boy, this this. Oh no, Indian... let's, let's do the clickbait of the year because that's the same topic, same general. Oh, same topic. topic. So, uh, uh, George. <clears throat> We, we don't do a lot of clickbait. I, I try to make creative titles for anything scripted where people will uh, click on or I'll make uh, real funny uh, thumbnails where we're smiling. <gasps> you know, so they, oh, what, what are they laughing about? I gotta, I gotta click on it. And George, once in a while, puts out a real good clickbait. Um, not that he tries, but I think he tried on this one. And you mentioned uh, presiding bishop Michael Curry was going to be preaching at a cathedral and everybody Service. goes, oh my lord, <laughs> no! <laughs> the most popular as view as to views of getting reporting on yeah. the Queen's funeral was the story, uh, which was purely a reprint from the Episcopal Church Office of Public Affairs. Mm -hmm. And I read the title, and the title as was exactly as Kevin said, yeah. Michael Curry to preach at a cathedral service for Queen Elizabeth. Uh, funeral and that implied and that was the title of the press release yeah. and that implied that he was going to be in London just like he did the wedding of uh, Megan and Harry yeah. uh, that oh my god they're bringing him back again to do his razzmatazz act well I said well I need to clarify this title they said no I don't this is labeled a press release from the Episcopal Church in, in, in New York. And if they want to basically say that the world revolves around, you know, the cathedral in Washington, D.C., that's the only cathedral in the world, I'll let them do it. So I published the story, and I get this shocked, horrified text from Kevin. I, oh, my God, no, tell me it's not true. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, uh, well, I did this on purpose. I didn't, didn't explain Correct the title him, yes just, yeah. to be, just to be a little uh little bad in my yeah. well, but here's here was our problem i would not put it beyond 
the Church of England, especially Justin Welby, to invite presiding, uh, presiding Bishop Michael Curry to preach or teach or do a homily at the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. We, we, we were shocked when we saw him at the wedding of uh, Harry and Meghan, and I would have been less shocked to see him uh, at the pulpit for Queen Elizabeth. Thank God, decorum wins. And somebody, you know, if that were suggested, somebody said no right away. Well, pause there for just a tiny second. Uh, mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth, uh, King Charles is now the king of Canada, Australia, New mm -hmm. Zealand, and uh, some uh, Caribbean. He's oh, not so. king of it. He, he's not king of all the Commonwealth. He's. Mm -hmm. Or the of the old empire, some of the Scotland, you know, like well, like South Africa is a republic, India's a republic. Yeah. They mm -hmm. um, Trinidad recently uh, became a republic, mm -hmm. and in the funeral procession, they had you know it was led off by Mounties from Canada because she's the Queen of Canada, and you had so you know it's soldiers from the Dominion countries uh, in the march in the parade. Uh, you know, from Gurkhas to New Zealand, you know, some Maori troops to uh, so on and so forth. So, having representatives of the Anglican Church of Canada, the Anglican Church of Australia, the Anglican Churches of New Zealand, would not be a stretch because she's still queen in those places. Now, Michael Curry could slip in <laughs> under that tent. Because the, the British Virgin Islands are part of the Episcopal Church of the United States, That's and right, yeah. Queen Elizabeth is it was Queen of the Virgin Islands, British Virgin Islands. So he could have gone, you know, in that representative. Now this is all silliness and whatnot. No, it is. I thought it was funny that uh, Joe Biden was seated in row sixteen, and he was late. And uh, I don't know if he has. I think the problem is fly was unzipped. You know, yeah, who knows? You know. know. <laughs> oh my whether you loved or hated Donald Trump he would steal the thunder of any show he attended so probably it's a good thing he was he, very good well, yeah, now, he's going to go to the Washington service instead of the in the United States here we recently experimented with a monarchy uh, I would consider uh, Obama and his wife uh, little mini king, uh, kings and queens uh, as far as the liberals were concerned, that that was a monarchy. He he what he wanted to do and tried to do everything he could uh, to change the system here, uh, so much so that he uh, came into conflict with the Supreme Court at like eleven or twelve times. Uh, things his administration had done got overturned by the Supreme Court more than any other president in modern history. He was King Obama and Queen, uh, what's her name? Uh, what's his wife's name? Obama and Michelle. Michelle, sorry. Obviously, I didn't pay that much attention. And, and we have we had different kings. We had uh, King George followed by Prince George, and uh, you know the mm -hmm. Bushes. And then we had the uh, the brother, who was felt that it was his turn to be a Republican president, and Donald Trump sliced him apart. Mm -hmm. And then the grandson, George P. Bush. I think law. I'm not certain, but I think he lost a race, major statewide race in Texas. Yeah, he was going to go for congressman. Lost. And but he, here's the thing: he jumped ship and joined the Trump team when uh, it looked like the only way forward in Texas Republican politics 
was to be a Trump man, the old political dynasties of the Bushes and the Kennedys and even the Clintons and the Obamas, you know, uh, thank goodness we've broken away from that. Well, enough about American corruption. Let's do Indian corruption. Uh, <laughs> your favorite topic is we got a doozer. Do it. PC Singh, who is the moderator of the Church of North India, uh, he was arrested upon his return to India from vacation in Europe after the Lambeth Conference and charged with uh, fraud, corruption, embezzlement. He was initially jailed for four days. Well, the court has extended that jailing for 14, two more weeks. And the investigators, and these aren't local Inspector Clouseau's and the hinterlands of India, the federal government and the state investigators are going through things and they found the moderator of the Church of North India has 182 bank accounts under various names, under fake corporations, under his great aunt who was in a nursing home where he's a signatory on it. And he had salted away allegedly hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions upon millions of rupees from the sale of church properties, from selling admissions to church medical schools and private schools, uh, taking kickbacks for uh, elections to be bishop. In other words, uh, if you want to be bishop and you want the uh, backing of the powers that be, kick in 10,000, 20,000 bucks and we'll smooth the way for you. And we have long, you know, there have been some, in the church in India is vibrant and powerful on the individual and personal level. At one point, over half of the bishops of the Church of South India were, and North India were under active criminal investigation for theft from the church. Mm -hmm. And now both moderators, North India and South India, are under active criminal investigation for theft. Um, when we have Lambeth conferences that uh, where it's all pre-scripted and we're, we're going to talk about uh, things that only matter to the West or to small uh, elites and ignore the major corruption issues that are facing many parts of the Anglican world, we're wasting our time as a church and gathering. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Gafcon doesn't have relationships over there. I think they've avoided the corruption uh, so far. You know, I've heard rumors that they well, I got, to in set up, yeah. I got in trouble with some Gafcon people right. years ago when I was reporting these because when they were first getting started, mm -hmm. they wanted to get as many people on board. And I reported about Indian corruption back then. And then when we reported about the Tanzanian corruption, at the time, the guy was a Gafcon primate. And I got not from Gafcon's secretary, no, not no. from no, not no. from lower level people we yeah. know, but from other people, bishops and whatnot, are saying just just wait, just wait till he retired. You know, don't rock the boat, don't rock the show. <laughs> now, like the uh, there's going to be another election soon, and for a primate in Tanzania, and the guy who is, if you will, the pro Gafcon candidate, who will bring Tanzania back into Gafcon according to one of our friends, mutual friend of Kevin and mine, has maybe a, a dozen illegitimate children. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, it's, you know... <sighs> it's a broken world, George. 
and a broken and, church in many places. A, yeah, absolutely. And you know that if if the church were perfect, you and I would be unemployed. Well, you'd still be a priest, but there'd be no need for an Anglican scripted to be transparent and talk about hard issues on both the good and the bad, the Orthodox and the uh, uh, the liberals within the church. You know, I'm sorry to have to bring it to you this way, but um, Gafcon is not pure. The ACNA is not pure. Yeah, and if I said that about tech, you're, you're like, well, of course, tech's not pure. Well, don't be silly. So it is what it is. Let's talk. <laughs> Let's move back here to tech. Charlie Holt is standing again for uh, election to be Bishop of Florida. Now there's more people to be candidates as well. George, what's going on there? Standing Committee of the Diocese of Florida has released a number of videos explaining the process and answering some commonly asked questions. Charlie Holt's election was thrown out by the National Church because of uh, technical violations of the canons. Uh, they didn't have a quorum, uh, physically present of clergy, so they allowed clergy to phone it in via Zoom or whatever audio-visual thing they used. This time around, you have to be in person, no, uh, no Zoom uh, business. And they announced that three of the candidates in the last election, Charlie Holt the winner, and a woman priest and a Hispanic priest had agreed to run again. Uh, and they're now opening the other ca candidates, white males, all of whom were on the liberal side, are not running again. So they've now opened it to petition process. For those who were not candidates before, they can now be put forward by petition uh, to be added to the ballot. And they, in the Q&A that they released, one of the questions they said, now, Charlie Holt's not bishop, yet he's moved here, and he's acting like a bishop, where he's visiting parishes on Sunday, he's you know being paid by the diocese, what's going on here? Are we basically saying this is gonna be a, just a show election? We're putting up a Hispanic and a woman and a white man, and of course, being the Episcopal Church, the white man will win hands down, because that's just the way it is. Or, and they said, no, 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 no. I mean, if Charlie Holt loses, this arrangement is going to have to change. But he won so convincingly last time, we don't want to penalize him for the mistake. He didn't make a mistake. Uh, yes. It was the standing committee that made the mistake. So this is where they are right now. And I guess I'm a wearier, but uh, early on I had, I had commented that I really, if I were Charlie Holt, would just hold myself back and not be too aggressive because you open yourself up for charges that you're taking everybody's vote for granted that you know you'll be reelected again. Uh, he may well be, and I probably will be, but I just think that's an unnecessary risk to take. Um, but hey, nobody well, I mean, asked me. It, it, truly, he is the victim here. This isn't his fault. You know, he followed the rules. He ran for election. He did all the visiting your churches before the election. He put his uh, biography on the website. Uh, he was elected by, uh, at the time, whatever we thought was the standard rules, which changed. He's a victim also of the hypocrisy because if any other of the candidates won, the liberal candidates, nobody would have said nothing. Mm. You know, if, uh, and so. Um, it kind of makes him a double victim in all this. 
sorry sorry to have to report that as well guys let's move on to next story here oh i'm going to new wineskins uh, it happens every three years that's in Asheville, north carolina um if you want you can sign up to watch the broadcast if you can't attend i'll put a link to that in the show notes it's one of those online hop-in things that you can participate and talk to people and guests and uh, register and be part of the process if you can't attend. If you can attend, it's not too late to register as well. Um, let's talk. <laughs> okay, Putin's had a bad couple weeks, George. And I want to talk uh, a little bit about some of the, the uh, Russian Orthodox defections because uh, if Putin had gone into Ukraine and had won as decisively as he had won in other conflicts, uh, the church would have supported him and not said one word. Now that he's losing, and you know it's a very public, violent war, uh, the church is left directionless as to how do we respond to this? Because it's Putin. He, you know, if he's not happy with us, he'll kill us. It's the Russian Orthodox Church. We have some uh, patronage to the Russian government. So, who's leaving the church and why, George? Well, the Russian Orthodox, the Moscow Patriarch, formal title. Uh, if Putin won, then they would have all of the Orthodox Ukrainian churches would come back under Moscow. Right. That would have just would have been part of the negotiated settlement. Not, but I mean, it would would have happened because, and we don't know what's going on in the Ukraine. I you cannot believe the stuff that's coming out from both sides. We just you know, fog of war. Uh, frankly, frank, frankly, if uh, they tell me the sun's going to rise tomorrow, I'm going to wait and look and see. <laughs> um, but that having been said, it's not been the knockout quick victory that many, including myself, expected. So the Russian Orthodox Church is seeing it's losing almost 40% of its active members by their basically being in the Ukraine and being in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Because it's taking so much time, a quick victory has evaporated and it's allowing Russian atrocities, allegedly, I don't know, but claimed atrocities and allowing the ukrainians who are members of the russian orthodox church to say wait well, you know we're we're not going to be part of the enemy church it's the situation the episcopal church had of the american revolution if you will if you're an episcopalian and you had to pray for the king you were not a patriot and you basically when the war was over you had to move to canada yeah. uh, well last week the latvian orthodox church which was under moscow's control broke away with the government's backing. Before the Russian Revolution, the Latvian Orthodox Church was part of the Russian Orthodox Church. After the Latvia became independent, it became independent um, during the communist era. When Russia invaded in 1940, it was folded back into Moscow and has been there ever since. Now the Latvians, because they're independent and they basically are trying to distance themselves from what Moscow is doing and backing Putin. They've jumped ship. So the basically the, the regional national churches under Moscow, the Estonians, the Belarusians, the Lithuanians, uh, they're all going to be they're going to see what's going to happen. And they will, and so Moscow is going to lose even more and more and more. Now, Latvia is only a third Orthodox. It's majority Protestant, then Catholic, then uh, Orthodox. 
and then probably an equal number of uh, still non-religious. So, but this is just, the war has been just a fiasco for the Russian Orthodox Church yeah, in its definitely. standing. Um, the uh, World Council of Churches was going to kick them out, and they basically decided, well, let's just give them a chance to make, make themselves nice. But the, Moscow used to be the gorilla in the room of orthodoxy. What they want, they got. It's no longer true. No, They've just been... I mean, uh, they've shown themselves to really struggle uh, with something that should have been a simple issue because of the politics involved. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, they have a history of being on the other side. They took the wrong side here. I don't know if that's the wrong side. Uh, they took uh, a, a harder choice, and uh, they're, they're suffering for it. All right, George, let's finish up the program with a person who, as far as I can tell, has the same faith as Queen Elizabeth had. His name is Bernard Randall. He uh, uh, gave a teaching to a bunch of students. He was fired for that teaching. And now he's trying to find some relief through the the legal system. And uh, (laughs) sadly, uh, in the West, if you don't believe the right thing, you have to go to uh, re-education camps. And he... He spent some time at a re-education camp. Let's talk a little bit about Bernard Randall, George. He was chaplain at Trent College, which is a Church of England-affiliated uh, private school. Mm-hmm. He was fired for giving a rather mild uh, sermon, basically saying, you children, you should think for yourself. And his employment tribunal hearings began last week. He's represented by the legal firm Christian Concern, Andrea Minichilla-Williams. Uh, some people may know her from... Mm-hmm. She's a great, uh, great activist, yeah. And in the testimony that's come out, what, some of the things we've learned is that the Church of England and the Diocese of Derby and its bishop, uh, Libby Lane, have just been horrifically awful in the sense that they did a safeguarding investigation and concluded that R- Bernard Randall was a risk to children because he taught them male and female he created them that the bible was a safeguarding concern and some of the testimony that's come out is that this school really just seems to go around the bend they hire that headmaster's got wokeism being his bonnet he's and you know bernard randall and the other teachers had to go to a class where they were the where part of the class was they had to chant down with heteronormity and like nine out of ten of the teachers rolled their eyes and said, well, what the hell, you know, we're being paid to be here, might as well do it. But Randall said, no, I'm not going to uh, sure. chant stuff like that. That's ridiculous. And he got fired for that. And the Church of England has basically come down on the side of his oppressors, uh, encouraging to say, down with heteronormity. Let's, you know, the Bible's a safeguarding threat to children. Um, Julian Mann, one of our correspondents from England, uh, had a piece in the Conservative Woman uh, the other day, which is an online website, saying at this funeral they're going to use the King James Bible. You know, for Charles's funeral, will the uh, Church of England have dumped the Bible because it says male and female he created them? Is that, you know, uh, threatening to transgender people? No. I think that was a bit arch in what he was writing. But, the you know, the wokeism... Uh, the craziness 
and the timidity is just extraordinary in the leadership of the Church of England. That's one of the reasons why I was so happy with the funeral because you know this is the same church, this is the same archbishop. One of our one of our readers tweeted me a picture of sort of the bishops in the back of the altar at the funeral. He said, you know, this one knew about uh, just uh, John Smythe. This one knew about John Smythe. This one knew and did Cut told no, but did not yeah. John Smythe. In other words, yeah. and and what's their punishment? Well, they get to stand up around the altar with the queen's uh, mm-hmm. casket. No, there was no no consequences for being an utter fiasco as a leader. I, I do want to offer people a little hope here, though, too. Um, this horrible trans policy that's been going on in the, in the West, uh, especially in Europe and here in America, where we treat people with hormone therapy and then we slaughter their bodies uh, in, in, when they're when they're little teenagers, has pretty much stopped in Finland, Sweden, uh, in some European countries where they discovered it didn't solve the uh, gender dysphoria problem. You know, these kids were still, you know, after uh, all this horrid uh, treatment with scalpels, uh, still had gender dysphoria. And so they're, they're starting to wake up. Now, it's going to take decades for that smartness that exists over right now in Finland and Sweden and some of those countries to, to reach the shores of America. But if, if it happens there, it can happen here. Um, they won't even allow hormone therapy, uh, hormone therapy anymore in Finland. Uh, before 18. So, cool. Well, in our state system, you know, each state does things differently. Mm-hmm. There's a de- there's a bill on Governor Gavin Newsom of California's desk passed by the legislature. And the California legislature has a supermajority of Democrats. The Republicans may as well not even show up. Mm-hmm. And this bill basically says that any transgendered minor can come to California and the state will pay for its the state will pay for it to mutilate and castrate you Demonic. and yeah. and you can tell the state of california and they will take legal custody of you if you live in florida and pay for you to come without your parents consent or even knowledge to do all this stuff mm-hmm. so the state of california is now saying it can exercise jurisdiction over children across the united states and bring them and mutilate them to california now, of course, this is unconstitutional. California cannot uh, reach into places outside of California, and certainly can't violating parents' rights. All these things, but that's California, and you know the governor may may sign this bill. Yeah. Now he may not because he he wants Gavin Newsom wants to run for president, and that might be a bridge too far. Uh, and is. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Just like <laughs> you know, if uh, you look at some of the funny people that uh, uh, Minnesota had as governor, you know, uh, Ventura, Jesse Ventura, Ventura. Oh. <laughs> Just Arnold Schwarzenegger for California. I, I, I can see one day uh, if we could handle two terms of President Obama. Uh, a Gavin Newsom uh, getting in just by the, the crowdsourcing you find in the major cities of New York, Chicago, L.A., uh, where you know they they get the, that blue vote in there, George. You, you never know. Um, I think DeSanto is a strong candidate, but his problem is he's too smart. I mean, he's he's. He, I mean, I don't know what kind of grades he got, 
but you just look at his responses when when there's a reporter trying to uh, to egg him on and he's he's right on there good quick wit uh so you know we'll have to see well, it. there's one little episcopal related item that i think is fun okay. you know that governor DeSantis sending uh, 50 uh migrants uh, illegal aliens up to martha's vineyard mm-hmm. uh they basically all hung out at the episcopal church there and there were all these <laughs> double you know, pictures attendance <laughs> no 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 and then look but there were these statements uh like uh, some of the parishioners came and brought little bags of uh, Kershey's kisses for these poor people, uh, but uh, oh my goodness, the but the the homeless shelter was the Episcopal Church in Martha's Vineyard, but they waited uh, two days before the army expelled them and sent them before the Ma- National Guard of Massachusetts expelled them, sending sending them back to Cape Cod because they didn't want the, the illegal aliens yeah. around Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard made it clear that they don't need any more people on the island in the servant class that uh you know we have all the servants we need thank you to santos for considering us but uh uh we're out of leaf blowers uh extra leaf blowers so if they're going to send 50 hispanics they should have sent 50 leaf blowers and then we could have that that, that was a great Babylon b joke i thought (sighs) yeah it's just crazy all right oh we're ending a little early well that's fine we're having mercy and grace upon our audience. I'm Kevin Coulson. And I'm George Conger. And you've been watching episode 760 of Anglican Unscripted.